What is it? It's your future. It's called a Stargate. Chevron 7 locked. Welcome to Walking Through the Stargate. I'm Brent. And I'm Zach. This is episode 51, and we'll be talking about Stargate SG-1's episode Forever in a Day. And uh, you can find us on Google Play Podcasts and on Spotify Podcasts and on Apple Podcasts. And on Apple Podcasts, you can leave us a rating, and I didn't check to see if anybody has done so because we promised to do a dramatic recreation. Uh, If you've left a rating and you're disappointed that we have not immediately launched into a dramatic recreation, my apologies. I'll... Put and make a note to double check it next time because uh, well, I Brent, I am checking it right now, idea. and and we okay. do not have any uh, uh, current dramatic reading uh, options at the moment, um, which makes for oh, a sad no, panda. I just lost Zach, so now I'm going to try to call him back, and he probably just lost me, and so we're probably doing the exact same thing, just talking at the microphone to each other, right now, calling him back up right now. Let's find out what happens. So, we don't want sad pandas. We want happy pandas. So, join us with that. And I'm talking, and I think, in the process, I lost Brent. When we sync this audio together, it's probably hey, Brent. pretty great. Hello, Zach. Yeah, so it'll be really interesting when you snap these together because uh, I realized in the middle of my talking that I don't have Brent. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so we're, it's going to be, I was also jibber jabbering, so I'm wondering what that's going to sound like. That's going to be pretty great. Yeah. Well, so anyway. You know, uh, you're the editor, so you'll have to figure that out. Yeah, I will. Uh, you were mentioning that uh, there are no uh, uh, reviews currently, so we don't have to do a dramatic recreation. That's true. But, you know, it does create a sad panda. It, uh, the, the panda is sad. Yeah. It will, it will munch on some bamboo. But you can also, other than finding us on Apple Podcasts, you can find us on Google Play Podcasts and on Spotify Podcasts. And on Google Play Podcasts, we thought you could leave a five-star rating, but we le- learned that that's not true, right? Right. That, uh, that's, as, as far as I know, that is true. As far as we know, that is that is not possible. And then I've been saying all this time that on Spotify podcast, you can hit that little heart button and blah, 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 blah. Guess what I learned, Zach? What did you learn? <laughs> I learned from our good friend of the show, Tim, your brother, uh, that uh, that's not actually a thing anymore. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> and it hasn't been a thing for quite some time. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, so uh, yeah, so so um, I stink at figuring out what our platforms are and keeping current on all that. But, you know, you can find us on places. And, you know, I haven't mentioned the RSS feed in quite some time because the URL is hilariously stupid. It's like walking through the stargate dot co, if I remember right. And uh, not dot com, but dot co, C-O. And, uh, you know, the RSS feed is there. But, you know, honestly, like, seriously, you pick up any any um, podcast aggregator and you type in walking through the and we're going to be in there and you put in Stargate and then that's it. You hit the little hit the little subscribe button or whatever and you're done. Bam. Yep. Finished. And, uh, you know, so go, Zach, go to Apple podcasts on your device, wherever it is. And uh, do give us that uh, five star rating and the review uh, that helps. Uh, at least in the podcast Apple Podcast world, for people to yes. find us, and and then you know we can then give you a dramatic reading uh, <laughs> uh, of of your of your your review uh, mm-hmm. for for the world to see. Uh, so yeah. So if somebody goes through the troubles act to find out how folks can engage with rating 
platforms, whatever they look like on either Google Play or Spotify, or maybe tell us of another method for people to find our podcast, how would they go about telling us that? Ah, the easiest, best way to tell us things, if you just want to talk to us, is to email us at walkingthroughthestargate at gmail.com. You know how that's spelled. You know how that goes. <laughs> so just go and do that. Um, just do it. Just do it. Uh, it's spelled precisely as it should be. It is. It is. It is. Um, uh, or you can also find us on Twitter at Stargate Walking or on Facebook, mm-hmm. Walking Through the Stargate Facebook page. We also have a Facebook group. Uh, join there uh, if you're going into the uh, Twitter or Facebook realm. Uh, you'll be talking to everybody who is involved in there, which is wonderful yeah. and great. Uh, there have been some uh, chat. Brent, uh, I think it was Anna. Uh, accurately predicted a couple of your episodes and, and gave some some uh, oh. uh, 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 picture proof of those. Oh, so uh, oh, excellent! Yeah, if you were to actually go to Facebook, Brent, and actually look at things, <laughs> then mm-hmm. you would discover that uh, you are predictable. <laughs> oh, I don't. Oh, I mean, yay! I don't. Uh, okay, the, but. Um, so I don't want to be a jerk and just start like randomly giving uh, rev- or, uh, 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 Chevron ratings with no basis in reality. But, um, you know, I, I, maybe it's a good thing. It's like it's like uh, it's like it's like a cup of hot tea. You know, you yeah. don't want that to be surprising. No, no. I mean, no. You, you, you want your I mean, I'm not a big tea drinker, but, you know, when I go and, and heat up my coffee, I want yeah. it to be good. And I don't want to have to guess whether it's going to be good <laughs> or bad. I, you know, uh, it's my coffee, and, and it needs to be what it is every time I go there. So what it, this means, Brent, is that you are consistent. I'm consistent. And safe. Hey, you know what? I like that. There you go. It's not gonna. It's not gonna win any awards, but it's. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's not necessarily true because you know sometimes even your good just. Plain old coffee can be, you know, really good and could potentially win an award or your tea or whatever it is. Uh, I think that we should probably start to think about uh, what things would be given the award of, of you know, boy, Zach, we are a couple of Midwesterners here. Um, we need to come up with an award ceremony where the trophy is just a just a thumbs up. And 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 the, and the ceremony is. <laughs> Things that are just fine, not exceptional, <laughs> not disasters, but just fine and reliably just fine. It's- and the award for morning beverage, which predictably gets you going, goes to coffee. Yay, coffee. I'd like to thank the bean growers and the producers. <clears throat> Sorry. And the curry company for making the and cake. The, oh, gosh. <laughs> I wouldn't have been able to do this without you, Mr. Keurig. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, we're nerds. Uh, we probably should get back onto Stargate because, you know, yeah. Stargate podcast. They, 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 we are ostensibly a Stargate podcast. Uh, ostensibly. <laughs> In any case. So if, if you think that this uh, line of foolery is worthwhile, then uh, please let us know via the various social media means of getting a hold of us. And yes. uh, if you have specific ideas on how to implement that, by all means, let us know because, um, because. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Well, Brent, let's dig into forever in a day. Let's do it. All right. 
So, this episode is directed by Peter DeLuise. This is his fourth of seven episodes that he's directed this season. We've seen him on Legacy, Point of View, and Demons all this Mm -hmm. season. Uh, Of Mm -hmm. course, several episodes, uh, previous seasons. And we'll see him for a lot more coming up. Uh, As for the DeLuise sightings, Mm -hmm. I'm not certain. Uh, I did some poking around. I didn't notice him for sure as I watched the episode, even though I was looking for it. Um, I thought maybe he was uh, the mortician, the guy at the morgue who uh, pulled the the, oh, yeah. the the curtain off of Sharae's uh, face. Um, mm-hmm. I thought maybe that was Peter DeLuise. It looked kind of like him. It looked kind of not like him. Uh, so I don't know if that's him or not. So... Yeah, I I forgot. I didn't notice that he directed it, so I wasn't paying attention. And I'm thinking about like scenes with a lot of extras and that battle scene in the first part. You know, that was definitely an opportunity. Although, does he like to like um, when you say that he likes to appear on screen? <clears throat> you don't mean that he likes to just blend in with the background. He like to he likes to do like what a Peter Jackson thing, right? Where it's like the camera is in his face. And yeah, I mean, what 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 I what I think he likes to do is is keep it subtle. So that he's yes. there, but you can actually see him there. So um, if you're paying attention to it, it's sort of like that Peter Jackson thing where yeah. where if you didn't know it was Peter Jackson, you wouldn't know it. But uh, if you know it's Peter Jackson, there's this camera that goes right past his face and he looks basically yep. right at you. Yeah. Um, which is another reason why I thought maybe it was that mortician guy. But I couldn't tell for sure. It was yeah. hard to tell and it was quick. Right. Um, so that's about Peter. Uh, the teleplay is by Jonathan Glasner, one of the co-creators mm-hmm. of the show. This is his mm-hmm. third writing credit out of four this season. Uh, we saw his name with Seth. We saw his name with Point of View. Uh, he's mm-hmm. got one more credit this season, and then at the end of this third season, he moves on to different things, and he'll leave mm-hmm. the show as a showrunner and such. Um, so... This is nearing the end of his run. Uh, there are several guest actors in this. We've got Eric Avari coming back as Kasuf. We've got Terrell Kasuf. Rothery as Dr. Frazier. Uh, uh-huh. I'm going to butcher her name. Viter, Vitari, Vitiari, uh, Bandera, Hershon, something like that. Uh, I think she was <laughs> credited as Bandera. I think her name currently today is Hershon. Uh, she played Share or Amanette. Uh, and then there was Jason Shambing, who played Dr. Robert Rothman. Uh, he was the yes. guy who replaced gotcha. Jackson. Uh, we will see him uh, again uh, and that character several more times as the series progresses. So this gotcha. is just an okay, introduction cool. to Rothman. We'll see him more as the show goes okay. on. Um, the original air date for Forever and a Day was October 8th. 1999. This is, uh, if you were paying attention, this is now about three weeks later than last week's. Uh, yeah. You know, so it was the uh, middle of August and now we're early October. So about three weeks later. Uh, mm-hmm. I didn't see anything obvious that suggested why, but you know, who knows? They took a couple week break. Just uh, a little break. Yep. Number one in the charts was Heartbreaker by Mariah Carey featuring Jay-Z. Yep. Yeah, and in the UK they were listening to "Blue Daba D" by Eiffel oh, 65. Yeah. Oh boy, I don't remember that one. Oh, you would recognize it, dude. Uh, you know, there's a lot of music that I would recognize, but I don't know its name. So I'll I'll buy that. Yeah, 
I'm blue da dum da 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 That's the whole song. Yep. Okay. Except for the part where they actually say lyrics. Yeah. I was blue and then I was blue and I had a blue thing with my blue and I was the bluish and blue and there was the blue sky and the by the blue the blue. It's terrible. It is terrible. But it. But it's got a beat and you can dance to it and so that's why it was popular. And it was certainly very popular back in the late 1990s. Yes. Uh, in the box office this week, number one was Double Jeopardy, which I believe is... Uh, oh, gosh, now I can't remember who's in that. Um, uh, I, I want to say Ashley Judd, but I could be completely wrong about that. I have literally no memory of this movie. Um, yeah. Uh, all right. Anyway, so it was Double Jeopardy. Yeah. Random Hearts was number two. I don't know this one at no, all. No, three no, Kings, no. number three. American Beauty, number four. Yep, and Superstar, one. number five. Don't know that one. Don't know that one. I must have had my head under a rock. Well, I suppose. Um, that's so a long little, as it's not. So long as the specific. rock isn't moving at, at, at high speeds, it should be fine. It, uh, or, or heavy. Or heavy. Yeah. So I had my head under a little stone, a pebble. I had my head under so, a pebble. So was it like a a TV show prop rock, which is basically just a piece yes. of light styrofoam? Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. Perfect. Right. Perfect. Very quiet in there. Yes. Yes. Okay. So right around uh, this time, what was happening on October 5th, a few days before this, the Ladbrook Grove rail crash in West London occurs and kills 31 people. Uh, mm-hmm. Those of you who are from uh, the UK may actually remember that and are old enough to remember that. Who am I kidding? Most of you are going to be old enough to remember that because this is a 25-year-old show. And if you're not, mm-hmm. you know, let me know because I would sure like to know. However, anyway, anyway. The, we, the, we just passed the 20th anniversary of these events, though, so... That is true. Wow, that, that is... Yeah. A, as we record this right now, that happened... Uh, 20 years and 13 days ago. Yes, right. Uh, so there you go. Uh, on October 8th, the day this came out, the new Kalini calendar, uh, NCC, uh, begins. Uh, I poked around on this, and so the Kalini calendar is an ancient Celtic calendar that, uh, was written in, like, um, Roman Latin letters and such. Uh, mm-hmm. and it's, uh, like a five year lunar solar calendar system. And, uh, some people think it begins in like the start of that calendar begins in this October time period and other scholars don't think so. Uh, huh. uh, I, I wanted to do more study on that and I did not get time for that. So this is your chance listener to figure out what the Kalini calendar is all about. And, uh, let me know because it'd be That's cool. That's actually kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, and, um, on October 9th, we had the very last flight of the U.S. aircraft Lockheed SR-71 Blackbird. Mm-hmm. Um, this and is kind of think... cool for me because when I was young, uh, I, I never really got into models, model planes and cars and all of that stuff, but I did have a model of an SR-71 Blackbird. And I just thought mm-hmm. that the, the, the ship itself was really cool, um, and it went fast, so it was cool. And here at the end of the 1990s, uh, it is retired. So there you go. It is a very, very cool aircraft. Like, especially because a, a decent amount of the information has 
is, has become or is becoming declassified. Like the technology that they employed on that thing was developed, I think, in the early 60s, maybe mm-hmm. even late 50s. But it was just that good. Um, and I think on this flight, if I remember my history right, I think this flight, they set a couple of speed records because why not? And they flew yeah. it from, I think, like Edwards Air Force Base to D.C. or something like that. And they crossed the continent in something ridiculous like, you know, 45 minutes or something. I mean, like maybe not quite that fast, but it was wicked fast. And, uh, you know, that that plane, theoretically, I think what the deal was, was that it it theoretically didn't have um, a top speed. Uh, in so much as that those engines would continue to produce ever increasing amounts of thrust and then until the airframe broke up, which like, you know, no, don't do that. Yeah. And also it had this other peculiar thing about it where it like got more stable the faster it went until it reached like some critical speed value or, you know, like like fast enough that it started like to melt the titanium hull on the thing. But you know right. what I mean? Like there were physical limits that they couldn't actually go, you know, never ending amounts of speed forward. But all for all intents and purposes, those engines could have kept going like if they had found a way to just to, to physically keep that plane together they could just keep adding thrust it would have just kept going faster and yes, faster, and faster but if it's you amazing. reach the the speed by which you're running into the air fast enough that you are now uh past the melting threshold of titanium and or whatever else the machine is built with uh there yeah, is no protecting from that uh, you know no. you, just because your engines can go that fast does not mean that it won't melt you can't stop that unless you come up with some other material well yes but that material does have a melting point did you know that the fr- that the early um uh heat shields on satellites are made out of wood really yeah, because what happens is that they figured out that since you can't um since you can't make a material that will actually withstand the heat of reentry of the of plasma, what you do is that you burn off uh you burn off your shield. It's so it's it's an ablative shield and so all of the shields use an ablative process, which means that as it's going through the atmosphere, it's burning off pieces of material and then those pieces of material and that burn off um d- uh, dissipate the heat. So as they are burning and flying away from the craft, they're taking heat away with it and then revealing a new layer, which is relatively cool compared to the other layer. Right. And so the first shields were actually made of wood because, you know, so long as you had enough wood that kept burning away for the duration of your re-entry, it, it worked just fine. Right. Yeah. Okay. You know, that makes sense. Yeah. Science. Cool. All right. So uh, after that little diversion... Um, you know, here's a little teaser. There will be a couple of episodes in the future where talking about, you know, space and reentry and things like that might actually come into play. But that's not this episode. Ooh, I might have to bring out that ablative shielding again. Ooh, there you go. Yeah. Uh, We do have a couple of uh, trivia uh, to talk about as we look into this episode, Brent. Uh, The funeral ceremony is actually based on uh, actual events found in the Egyptian Book of the Dead. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, the feather on the scale. Uh, yep. And I was actually reading in the Illustrated Companion that uh, they were trying to, uh, they modeled that, uh, they modeled that scale off of a, a scale that they actually found on a dig in oh, really? Egypt. Um, so that's kind of cool there. Yeah, that is cool. I like it, you know, and, and shows the, when they get to be about this age, shows are able to start doing things like that, right? Where they're where they're able to like let's spend a little bit of time and figure out what the scale would actually look like. 
Yeah. You know, as opposed to just making something because you got to get, you got to get something in the can. Yep. Um, in addition to that, uh, the, the, uh, you know, when, when, uh, Jackson is, is speaking there in that eulogy and he's saying words in ancient Egyptian and words in English and going back and forth, uh, yeah. the ancient Egyptian stuff is pronounced as good as, uh, the scholars today, or at least the scholars in 1999, uh, yeah. understood that to be. Obviously, it's a dead language, and nobody knows 100% certain how it would have been pronounced, but this is their best guess on that, and they had some linguists there who were helping him uh, go through that process. Super cool. That's so, awesome. Yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, yeah. Subsequently, uh, Jonathan Glasner is very proud of this episode. Uh, mm. He thinks it's his best script for the series. Um, for the series, uh, his best script of the series. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, so we can talk more about that as we move on. Uh huh. Okay. Um. So let's see what else I have. Apparently, there is uh, in this episode, Teal calls Jackson by his first name. He says Daniel, as opposed to calling him Daniel Jackson. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is. One of only two times in the entire series that Tilt does this, uh, mm-hmm. and some will uh, make the supposition that perhaps this is done intentionally to indicate that what was taking place was not quite real. Um, oh, okay, okay, yeah. So uh-huh. we'll see if that um, you know I, I don't know it, it, that that's a supposition that somebody has out there. That's kind of interesting. Yep. Yep. Uh, the, this episode marks the death of Aminet, who is, of course, the third powerful Gould that SG-1 has killed. They killed Apophis, then they killed Hathor. No, they killed Hathor, then Apophis. Uh, they beat up uh, Apophis, then they killed Hathor, yes. then they yes. killed uh, Apophis, and now uh, Aminet. I think that's how it goes. Um, yes. <laughs> so, you know, the, uh, the woman who plays Share, Viteri... Uh, I'm butchering that again. I'll call her Shaure because okay. it's yes. Okay, <laughs> I can pronounce that. Good enough. <laughs> uh, of course, she and Shanks were dating at this point in time. Oh right, that's um, right. They had already had a, a baby together at this point in time. I actually thought that they had actually gotten married, and according to the illustrated companion, it looks like uh, if they did get married, they got married after this point. Uh, but they were st- certainly a couple in any case. Uh, and so the scenes where they were cuddling in bed and whatnot were, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, hey, you know, we do this every Saturday night and Monday night and Tuesday night and all that stuff. But we don't do it with a whole bunch of film crew here watching. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so uh, on one level, it was very natural. And then also for the actor who played Share, uh, it was kind of a challenge and it was a little uncomfortable and, and kind of made for uh, things a little bit stiff from her perspective in this because, you know, this is something that they normally do and now everybody's yep. watching. Uh, so yep. there you go. Uh, this episode in French is translated as The Neverending Day uh, or mm-hmm. The Forever Goodbye in Czech. Uh, the German calls oh, cool. it yeah. the death of Share. Oh, well, and, it's a little on the nose. It is a little on the nose. And the Hungarian title is also The Neverending Day. Mm-hmm. Um, so there you go. Mm-hmm. Uh, with that, I think we are ready for the synopsis. Let's do it. Okay, here we go. 
SG-1 and SG-3 are rescuing a group of Abedonians, including Dr. Jackson's father-in-law, Kasuf. They are al- there are already several dead Jaffa throughout the area. Kasuf reveals that Amanet has returned and taken her son back from the Abedonians who had been hiding the boy. Daniel spots Amanet standing outside a tent some distance away and head towards her, even as O'Neill is trying to get everyone back to safety through the Stargate. As Amanet goes back into the tent, a large group of Jaffa charge the SG personnel. A battle ensues. While all this is happening, Daniel approaches the tent, shoots a couple of Jaffa that popped out of Amanet's tent, reloaded his gun, and approached the Gua'uld, looking for information on the boy's whereabouts, and hopefully a chance to save Sharae from the Gua'uld Amanet who possesses her. Amanet and Daniel have a standoff in the tent. Amanet lifts her hand with her ribbon device. She attacks Daniel by zapping his head as she tortures the archaeologist, uh, beginning to kill him. Tilk enters the tent and aims at the Gua'uld with his staff weapon. Daniel drops his gun and passes out. Daniel wakes up in the infirmary in Stargate Command. He is confused and doesn't remember what happened. His team reveal- reveals that Sharae is dead that Teal'c was forced to kill her in order to save Daniel's life. He refuses to believe that his wife is really dead, but when they take him to the morgue and show him her body, he begins to blame himself for not saving her, and he blames Teal'c for acting too quickly and too rashly with the use of his staff weapon. It looks as if Daniel will never forgive Teal'c for this action. Daniel returns to the infirmary. He is tired and falls asleep. And he wakes up to find Sharae alive and by his side. He is told that Tilk had to shoot her, but they took her to the Tok'ra, who had a sarcophagus to revive her and in a convenient way to remove the Gua'uld symbiote. As everyone else leaves the infirmary, Sharae gets very close to Daniel and tells him that she's only here to tell him about the boy. Before she can continue, she seems to be whisked away through some cool trick of videography. And Daniel <laughs> wakes up to discover that Sharae really is dead. After being released from the infirmary, Daniel hands in his resignation to General Hammond and begins packing his things. Jack is convinced that he will return to the team before too long, but Daniel claims otherwise. And so Dr. Robert Rothman is assigned to take Jackson's place on SG-1. Before leaving, Daniel runs into Teal, who attempts to apologize but Daniel refused to accept his apology. As the days go by, Daniel continues having dreams about Sharae. In the dreams, she tells him that he must return to the SGC and continue traveling through the Stargate to find the boy. He is Harsesis, a human child born of two Gua'uld parents. As such, he will grow up knowing all the secrets of the Gua'uld. Sharae also tells her husband that she must forgive Teal. Daniel begins to suspect that Sharae sent this message to Daniel through the hand device as Aminet was trying to kill him. Talking with Carter, Daniel's supposition is solidified. He then speaks with Teal'c, who verifies that Sharae, uh, who verifies what Sharae has said about the Harsesis. Teal'c tells him that this form of reproduction is forbidden amongst the Gua'uld, and it is punishable by death. And should a Harsesis be born, those our children are hunted down and killed. In the end, Daniel forgives Teal'c and realizes his own importance to the team. He decides to return to the SGC, much to the delight of Colonel Jack O'Neill, who highly disliked Robert Rothman anyway. While the team is off-world exploring, the Stargate activates and Daniel disappears through it. 
He returns to the planet where Sharae died. There he sees a vision of her one last time. She tells him that the boy is hidden in a place called Keb. He promises that he will, that uh, he, she promises that, okay, let me get this right. Daniel then promises to Sharae that he will go and search and find the boy. Mm-hmm. We discover that this whole episode has been basically a fever dream of Daniel as he is being killed by Amonet. Tilk is there aiming at Amonet with the staff weapon. Uh, she, he kills her. Daniel uh, uh, s- saves... It. Okay, let me start that again. <laughs> you, are, okay. you are welcome yeah. to re-edit this as appropriate. Okay. No, I like, I like uh, hearing you have to uh, adjust on the fly is pretty great. Yeah, okay. All right, so we discover yeah. that this whole episode <laughs> has basically been Daniel's death dream. Tilk is there aiming yes. at Amonet with a staff weapon. Daniel is being killed by the Gua'uld. Tilk shoots. Amonet slash Sharae dies. Daniel realizes that Tilk did the right thing. He mourns the death of his wife. And he begins thinking about finding the Harcesis on Keb as O'Neill and Carter look on. The end. The end. The end. So, Brent. Yeah. Forever in a day. What'd you think? For ever um <clears throat> ever all right forever all right so um i am a little surprised that jonathan glasner thinks that this is his best uh story in the series gotta be honest because though i am impressed with the detail um you know actually i'm not exactly sure where this should fall so there were there was one sort of really big thing that kind of kept me from really enjoying this episode. Okay. And it was obvious through the storytelling that there were parts as the story was progressing, that there were parts of what Daniel was experiencing that was um, effectively not real. However, when we get to the end and we realize that the whole episode has been uh, Daniel inside his own head, uh, w- when we get to that point, it didn't kind of come as a thunderclap of revelation. It didn't really like tidy up loose ends that had happened throughout the episode itself. And what do I mean by that? I mean that the storytelling was uh, confusing, not complicated. I mean, confusing where uh, it, as you're watching it, instead of getting sort of this uncanny feeling like maybe this isn't quite all real you're 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 constantly being shown what looks like a flashback uh and then um Sharae comes in and says and exposits a thing and you know Daniel has like a dreamlike state which then he then wakes up from and it's the waking up from trope which makes the story confusing in the trope when you wake up even if you're in a dream inside a dream inside a dream inside a dream there are the the there's an expectation that you have returned back to reality. That's how the storytelling trope works on that one. Otherwise, you are still kind of left adrift and you're trying to figure out which parts are real and which parts are not real. Right. And then at the end of the episode, when it's revealed that the whole thing wasn't real, instead of feeling like you've witnessed something clever, it just feels like it was just like, oh, okay, okay. So so effectively, none of the information other than the self-revelation process that that Daniel went through, 
and the conversations that he had with Charay in the personages of Charay and of of uh, Yasuf and of Teal'c and of Carter and of O'Neill and you know like the, like it, it, so all of these conversations are happening inside his own head and parts of the information are coming in through Charay through the conversation and those parts are supposedly revealed in the storytelling by those flashback moments which he then wakes up from see even as i'm describing it i'm kind of like fine it's 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 convoluted it isn't it isn't clever it isn't several pieces set up in a weird way that don't make sense until you line them up in a certain viewpoint and then they all line up right, right. Th- those moments are rad like where you're watching 30 minutes of something and you're like what is going oh my gosh it all makes sense right right we've seen those stories and they're great and this one wasn't really that and so I, i'm you know that jonathan glasner thinks that this is one of his best um makes me wonder then if I'm having a problem with the storytelling, and then is, is this now on Peter? Is this on Peter DeLuise? Like, was the story tight enough, but the way that it was translated onto the screen, was that the part that made it confusing? And so I'm not exactly sure. I, I think it probably is. I can totally see how the script makes a lot of sense when you read it. But then when you're trying to figure out how to visually represent that and put it into a 40 something minute episode, you got to do you got to make some decisions. And then as a result, it turns into this little kind of, you know, I hesitate to call it sloppy because it really wasn't sloppy. It was just. Well, yeah, I, you know, I I was curious as to what you were going to say about this episode. And sure. um, I was like, is he going to say something radically different than me? And when I read in the Illustrated Companion that. Glasner thought this was one of his best scripts of the series. I'm like, really? Uh-huh. That's interesting. <laughs> uh-huh. um, there, I, there are pieces of this story that I really like. I, I, like yes. uh, I, I, am, I like that in this story, the, the Share uh, thread is concluded. And it's actually a satisfying conclusion. Yes. Um, yes. You know, I mean, you know, I'm I'm I am sufficiently satisfied with it. You know, could it have been gotcha. better? Yeah. Sure, but I'm sufficiently satisfied that this has come to a conclusion. Um, uh, one of the things that he mentioned in the Illustrated Companion is that the sar- search for Share was one of Daniel's primary uh, motivations to going through the Stargate. And if she's mm-hmm. going to die, then they need to have another one. Uh, and so then the search for the child kind of, kind of takes over that place. Um, I'm okay with that. That's kind of cool. And in fact, uh, where that storyline goes, which is way beyond than even what they expected at this point in time, I'm certain, uh, is really quite fun and exciting. And I don't want to say too much more. Uh, so gotcha. Okay. So you know, uh, this thread uh, that kind of begins with this episode goes lots of different directions, and I quite enjoy that. Um, and you know, and and I thought that. Uh, uh, you know, I'll, there are a lot of uh, scenes. The, the the death scene, the the funeral scene, was really good. It was shot well. It yes, was it acted was. well. Yes. Uh, yes. You know, uh, it was emotional. Uh, you know, some of those scenes. Uh, you know, when when uh, Teal'c is apologizing and Daniel's like, "You should have waited longer." Uh, I mean, th- that was I liked that scene. That was a great scene. You could really see the heartbreak in Teal'c, and you could see the, just the brokenness of of 
of Daniel and, and is lashing out in a way uh, that makes sense for this. So, you know, I liked that. That was really cool. But it was yeah. all a dream. Right. Um, and, you know, we've had this conversation. I hate episodes that take you on a journey, and then at the end of the yes. episode, they leave you right back where they began. Yes. And there's, yes. you know, this isn't, you know, there's something here, because there was a message conveyed to Daniel, uh, but now Daniel is the only one that has this information. Nobody else does. Um, and, you know, I guess, you know, that, that that's... You know, either neither here nor there. I suppose I don't know. It just it is. Um, it just I, I think that the idea is there, and I think the idea works. I just mm-hmm. am not certain that the script works. Um, Something about it, right? <clears throat> Either the script or, um, I mean, because you know, like the actors and the and the director, they're only putting uh, they're they're only putting on to film what is in the script, to be sure. Um, but I can I can totally see how, especially like an early draft of the script is really quite tidy. Um, you know how how it's written in that kind of that first way of like the things don't really line up until they line up exactly right. At which point everything lines up uh-huh. and it's beautiful. Um, and then you know, but then you're forced to try to take that idea, which you know constitutes like what like two three pages and then turn it into a full episode like a full-on episode and you're exactly right like it was an extremely dissatisfying ending not least of which because one of the things that crossed my mind was uh you know daniel had it in his head that one way that we could possibly save Sharae is to immediately take her to the tokra who might have a sarcophagus and la 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 whether or not that's true is another matter but you know that it ends with him uh you know, instantly kind of forgiving Teal'c right away and starting to mourn the death of his of his wife uh, also felt a little incongruous. Um, it makes sense, dot, 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 because Jackson went through all of these quote-unquote days inside his own head before getting to this particular point. And so in that respect, uh, you know, he has advanced through a grieving process a little bit further along than what would otherwise be. Right. But on the other hand, it's like when you wake up and you realize that something that has been tormenting you is a dream, like, well, at least for me, you know, of the many emotions that I would feel, one of them is not only relief that it was just a dream, but also relief that you can now do something about it. Yeah. Like, you know, like, like, in fact, this has not come to pass. You can do a thing you know, why was he not immediately springing to his feet and muttering something about taking her to the Tok'ra, even if they fail, right? Like, even if it all is for naught. But, you know, we were at the end of the episode. That was the end of the story. That wouldn't have, you know, that that, that, that would have been, well, you know, who knows what they would have had I to mean, do to get that reality. Or, you know, I guess that, on that front, well, I, I, I recognize what you're saying, and I, I would probably agree with you in general. I, I don't think, I mean, besides the fact that they ran into, you know, their 45 minutes. Right. Um, uh, the idea of going to the Tok'ra with Share's dead body and getting them to revive her in a sarcophagus is quite the pipe dream. There's a couple of reasons. Here. One, we don't really sure. know for sure exactly how to contact the Tok'ra with any reliability yet at this point in time. We do have gotcha. the, the device from the Tolan that we could send out and talk to them, um, but you know, we don't have an address that we can go and knock on their door. Uh, gotcha. Two, yeah, we right. also know that the sarcophagus 
uh, does some really nasty things to one's own brain. Yeah, that's true. And yes. so we've been told that the uh, the Tok'ra don't use the sarcophagus. They don't employ that, and they don't keep those lying around just all over the place. So uh, in my head, the idea that in his fever dream, uh, Daniel was says, oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, oh, right, yeah. Right. So like, of course, you know, I mean, that actually felt exactly like it would in a dream where, you know, you mm. kind of have this dream and they're like, oh, yeah, you know, so the reality is that she's dead, but you don't want to think that she's dead, so we're going to have this dream, and, and naturally the, the most convoluted circumstances occur to make it happen, mm-hmm. which is yeah. the Tok'ra and all of that stuff, um, yeah. which just, you know, so that idea, um, yeah, uh, I, that I wouldn't now, think would happen, be able to happen. I don't think Daniel would even be able to do that uh, with that, but I think you're right that, Daniel does make a very quick turnaround in that moment. Says, "Hey, you did the right thing, thing Teal. Right. It's all good." Um, uh, there's there's one little step, and I don't know exactly what that step is, but it's there, and it, we just kind of jump over it in that moment in the script. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way to say it. Like, and and in jumping over it, it it makes it feel less genuine. Yeah, or believable. It makes it feel less believable. Like we're willing to, uh, we're willing to buy it, but it's not quite rock solid. There, there needed to be something more in there, and and maybe, maybe what it was is like um, the 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 forgiveness process of Daniel towards Teal in his dream. If that had been a little bit broader, a little bit thicker, mm. uh, mm-hmm. a little more intentional and uh, interconnecting between those two characters, then I think I could have bought it in the actual moment. But it was just sort of like, uh, hi, Teal'c, how you doing? Yeah, you did the right thing. It's all, yeah, we're all good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, hey, let's go on another adventure together. And uh, while, uh, you know, we saw Jackson's moving through that mm-hmm. uh, to some degree, uh, what we didn't see is, is that interrelationship between them uh, mending itself because the fact is in a relationship uh, when you have two people who uh, have a broken relationship and even if there is forgiveness and restoration uh, mm-hmm. things are different and at the very least there is a process of moving through that different before you find uh, that that normalcy again whatever that is um, yeah and we never got that and I think that's where where that part becomes dissatisfying for me. Now, I am realizing that uh, I think that part of the problem that I have with this episode is that uh, the story, the story was on the face of it, um, Daniel getting information that will extend into the series at large. It's, you know, setting up something that we're probably going to be dealing with, you know, notwithstanding your little hint. Um, you know, it's quite obvious that this was the transition, uh, the moment in the story where we transition from one goal to another, where there's this, uh, the addition of a mythical character that is totally going to, like, put the ghouls on the back foot. Um, and then so there we go. Now we've got it. Now, you know, now we've got a we, Now we've got a new a new goal. But um, those are dumb, boring stories and we hate them. Uh, you know, what we actually like are those moments uh, told in and amongst 
some other interesting story that develops the characters. And that, I think, is the swing and the miss on this one. The interesting story that that kind of sort of almost got told, but not really, was the advancement of the relationship between Jackson and Teal'c. And uh, uh, center, pivoting around the moment of Teal'c killing his wife, right? So um, my criticisms about how the character of Daniel Jackson seems to kind of sort of not care about Sharae um, stand. Like, when when the story says, and now Daniel cares about Sharae, uh, Michael Shanks does a pretty okay job with varying levels of good uh, conveying that idea. But on the whole, the series kind of sort of like has Jackson more in the role of the curious scientist and not so much about the driven husband. Yeah. Um, and so it always kind of felt a little less than perfectly believable whenever Sharae got brought back onto the scene. But okay, setting that believability down for just a second. If the story here was trying to tell the story between the relationship, the strained relationship between Jackson and Teal'c as a result of Teal'c killing Jackson's wife and there being a forgiveness process as a part of this arc, it, that was number one, huge swing and a miss. Number two, they, they could have focused on that. And if they had focused on that, there were opportunities to be clever about it so that it would indicate to the viewer uh, something is off about this. And then when we got to the end of it was just a dream, that could have been one of those moments where all of these things line up mm-hmm. perfectly. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, now I'm kind of really getting into the, into the uh, you know, armchair quarterback thing here because it makes so much sense for inside my head about how you could do that because if you focus on that and each chapter of this episode um, develops that tension and resolution a little bit more, especially in ways that appear to be incongruous at first. Like, uh, side note, one of the things that I was realizing as all of these dreams were taking place was that I was having a tough time realizing or understanding which things had happened and which didn't, and which was which seemed like it was important to the story at the time because, okay, did that conversation with Teal'c actually happen or did it not happen? Are they actually uh, further along or not? Um, Did he actually resign or didn't he? It looks like he did. Did he actually, you know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. those were confusing, not clever. And at the end when it was revealed to be all just a dream, now we're like, okay, well then none of that happened. And so Jackson's relationship with Teal'c has not advanced, but you could have wrapped it up with a really nice bow if you had played off of that a little bit more throughout the episode. And at the end, when Teal'c shoots Amonette, you can have Jackson be quite a lot more distraught than he was and really be torn apart at this one and have Teal'c apologize in that moment and have Jackson say he like and have Jackson acknowledge that Teal'c feels badly about this yeah that would have been fine that would have been enough that would have you know it wouldn't have been over the top it wouldn't have felt shallow you can still have a moment where jackson is going to mourn and he's going to feel upset and he's going to be angry about things but he knows because he has gone through this process inside his own mind with teal'c uh his dream teal'c um to get to the spot where he is further ahead inside Jackson's own mind than the anger at the beginning. This was all very plausible. All these emotions were very plausible. That anger in the beginning was very plausible. But getting to that moment at the end of the episode and having Jackson go like, yeah, I know you totally did the right thing, dude. 
and like you know shed like a single tear that one felt thin right that one didn't feel possible. i think i think you're right that this story would have been far better if it was an examination of the relationship between teal and daniel uh as a result of how you know teal having to kill daniel's wife uh that would have been right. a great story and uh would have been fascinating, but that's not the question that they asked. They ended up asking, and this right. question is, what's the relationship between Daniel and Share? That was where they were focusing their efforts. And in that relationship, what they were going for was uh, trying to end that particular storyline thread. And they focused on that. And unfortunately, what ended up happening is uh, this is where I think, frankly, Jonathan missed the mark. And uh, this is where Jonathan is, you know, where the finger is pointed at Jonathan and not Peter. Um, because uh, he aimed at the wrong thing. He aimed at a character mm-hmm. who was going to be dead by the end of this episode. Um, and, and it became an episode uh, with one relational point at the end, which was Daniel. That's all that was left with this episode, what they talked about. That's a great way to put it and and the problem with a a singular point relationship is that they don't exist right you can't have a relationship by yourself um and you know you have ended that relationship with with charay in such a way uh you know i suppose on some level you could say what a great way for charay to go out right uh she she died and she was able to give her husband uh you know some some resolution and uh the the sense that hey it's okay for you to let me go you have something else that you need to do with your life go do that isn't that wonderful i don't think they did mm. that greatly uh but it would have been i think a better storyline to dig into that yeah. relationship with daniel and teal why uh in part because uh then these two characters have to live with each other moving forward. The fact of the matter yes. is, Teal kills Amonette. Teal yeah. kills Share. And yeah. with that, that means that everything for the last three years that Daniel has been focusing on, ostensibly, right. uh, has now come to a dramatic end at, by, by the hands of not only the person who put Sharae into that position in the first place, mm-hmm. but by the one <laughs> who kills her. That yeah. is a significant change in that relationship. And it is not dealt with uh, right. in the real world. It's barely dealt with in Daniel's head. Yeah. Um, right. And, and I think that's where it misses the mark. Now, does this episode get any better with rewatching? Huh. Um, that's a good question. I mean, that was crossing uh, my mind. I don't think so. I really don't think so. Yeah. Because I've seen this many, many times. Um, mm-hmm. and, and actually, as I was watching it this time, what I noticed is, why the heck is there this really serene, calm, peaceful tent, like 15 feet from oh, a war yeah. zone? <laughs> Yeah, yes. Yeah. That part feels more like the dream state than the reality. Yeah. Like I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah, but, you know, uh, yeah. uh, and, and I, I don't recall thinking that thought prior to this watch, but I mm-hmm. did think that in this watch as I was watching it, and I'm like, wow, what? <laughs> um, and related to that, I think that that might have, like, I was kind of sour on this episode from the start because that that battle scene was... Um, 
very energetic and pretty kind of barely plausible. At least it just felt a little weird. Like, you know, the, 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 the Jaffa were just getting mown down. And, um, you know, there was a lot of bang, bang, boom, boom. Uh, Jackson took like what 17 minutes to reload his gun. That was pretty hilarious. Um, (laughs) But like, you know, like, like it was really high energy battle scene and it immediately, and, and, you know, high energy, like, you know, uh, ribbon death moment. And then it pivots into the really slow plod of, you know, of character narrative. Yeah. Uh, You know, so we go, we go from action high action to slow pace really really quickly and we stay in the slow pace for quite a while by the time i got used to the slow pace it was about halfway through the episode so already i'm kind of like i mean that's not a good way to transition um yeah Uh, i hadn't thought about that specifically but i think you're you're dead on is that when you start off with such a fast pace at the beginning Mm -hmm. uh and then you just on a dime slow the temp, yes. the pace down that that does it did, did def- definitely create a disconnect in me i will say on a positive note uh shifting gears here a little bit is that we do yeah. actually see daniel in this episode in a military role at least partially uh he's on the front line and while he's only got a pistol um, yes, you know he's he's using it. He's actually reasonably effective with it. I mean, the fact that that distance oh, yeah. to to uh-huh. get that many shots <laughs> into the the, yes. the Jaffa that's impressive. He's been practicing. Uh, you know, yes, uh, pistols are not accurate weapons, as far as I can understand. No, and the further you away right. you are from them, uh, the le- less accurate they become. Um, mm-hmm. And, Which and, I mean, and so you know. Side note: as, just a moment, it, just a moment here. Let me say, finish this thought. So, as a character development of Daniel, to see him uh, become more capable in uh, that militaristic uh, environment is yes. worth noting. Okay, there. Totally. Which makes the reload thing even more weird. Yes. Like, like he he exhibits prowess with a firearm, and then like struggles to like get the clip out and put a new one in like i mean it just it was just weird it it it, and it was a small moment and it shouldn't matter it really doesn't matter but it's still a thing that was just like you know it 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 kind of stood out and i mean i don't know i just feel like there was a whole lot of moments there where you could well no okay let me back that up i was about to say that there were a whole lot of moments where you could where you could use those incongruities to be flags like this isn't actually real um and, you know, there would be all sorts of different ways that you could make that thing happen. But, you know, I take that back because uh, that scene was the reality. Yeah. Right. Like that was what was actually happening in that moment. Yeah. Which now uh, it, it did. I did get a sense that in that moment, like time was you know slowing down a little bit. Yeah. Uh, but it still felt really jarring and, um, you know, challenging on, on, on a lot of pieces in that spot. Uh, yeah. yeah, things that, that should have been real life ended up being dreams and things that should have been dreams ended up being real life. And, uh, it was, it's probably a decent way to say it, (laughs) you know, uh, there's a lot of really good things in there. I mean, any individual scene in here is actually really quite good. If you just take the scene by itself, uh, it actually works really quite nicely. The dialogue is crisp. It's clean. 
Uh, the acting is well done throughout the whole thing. Yes. Um, yes. But when you start to string all of these individual scenes together to get a comprehensive story, well, I think they don't tell the right story, and uh, it's confusing and convoluted yep. what they do tell. Yep. Yep. Agreed. So, anything else to add uh, about Forever in a Day? Mm, no. I said my piece. Okay. You? I believe I have said my piece as well. Uh, so, to that end, I ask you, Brent. Uh, yes. What will you give this episode in terms of your ratings out of seven chevrons? And will so, our good listeners yeah, be able to accurately oh, yeah. predict it? <laughs> okay. All right. So, good listeners, take a moment. Think, think, think. Okay. Here we go. A while back, I had said that uh, there are like two versions of screw up when it comes to television storytelling. There's. Uh, a screw up in its production or a screw up in technical work. Um, and then there's a screw up in story. And a while back, I said, I am much more forgiving for technical screw ups than I am for story screw ups. And Zach, when you were wrapping it up just now, I think you hit the nail right on the head. Technically, there was nothing wrong with this episode at all. Well shot, well lit, well acted, well um, except for the pacing at the very beginning, the story itself, if they had slowed down that front part, the pacing was fine. Like the, the pacing of the dream sequence was, was fine. Uh, and there was a couple of pieces of information in here, which I can tell are going to be set up quite nicely for future stuff. But you screwed up on the interesting story and or completely missed it. And when you got to the end of it, all I was left doing was just kind of scrunching up my nose going... Well, that one didn't really feel like it ended on a, on a solid thud. It felt like it kind of tripped across the line type of a thing. Mm-hmm. And so of those two things, it screwed up on the story, and therefore I'm going to be much harder on it than it would be if it had screwed up on the technical stuff. Um, this one, honestly, as I'm kind of thinking back on it, I'm willing to bet dollars to donuts that this one is skippable, even though it introduces the character, the, 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 the Harcesis, even though it introduces the Harcesis and the idea of the Harcesis, I bet you dollars to donuts that the concept of the Harcesis is going to be brought up again in a future episode and explained in one sentence. And then we're going to be right back. We're going to be fully caught up. And the relationship complexity between Daniel and Teal'c, which was all inside Daniel's head, I bet you is Barely or not at all going to come up ever again. I bet you starting next episode, it's going to look like Jackson and Teal'c are as friendly as they ever were. And so what was the point of this episode? Uh, I gave it two out of seven chevrons. Two. 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 I bet you can skip this one and not miss a beat. <sighs> yep. Um, as I think about this episode and I think about my chevron rating. Mm-hmm. Um, I am going to give it two and a half chevrons. <laughs> uh, and, and, and the reason I give it two and a half, I give it that little extra bump. Um, a, I don't want to give it all the way to a three. I think that's too generous to it. Uh, yeah. B, I don't think it is quite as skippable as you bet. Uh, I, I, okay. I think that, that, uh, while you, I, you know, having not seen these episodes coming up uh, in a while, because it's been a while since, you know, I've done that. Uh, I can't remember exactly how they talk about the Harcesis moving forward. Uh, yes, spoiler, they, they will talk about the Harcesis moving forward. I mean, uh, yeah. Yeah. 
Um, and um, I'm certain that there are just a couple of sentences here and there throughout the way that kind of catches you caught up to it. Um, I, I think that if if you just had that and you didn't have this, uh, you would feel that there's a hole in there, that you'd be holding, there, there's, some, there's something missing. So in that regard, just that little bit there, uh, I'll give it a slightly better rating at two and a half. Chevrons. Sure. Yep. All right. Well, uh, dear listeners, how did you do? What did you think that Brent was going to give it? What did you think I was going to give it? And uh, did we surprise you? Yeah. On that. I'm interested. Yeah. And you know what? I bet you that this one, I can respect how this one could be a little bit more controversial. I can, I can, I can imagine a person having watched this episode and found and finding much more value or thinking that, that we're being either too harsh or we've missed something, you know? And yeah. Yeah. If, if, if you dear listener are in that camp that you think that we screwed up and missed something by all means, send us an email and let us know your thoughts because, well, I mean, Hey, this is what sci-fi is about. This is, it's about, it's about starting up conversations. Yep. I think. Yeah. Uh, now if I could envision potentially somebody looking at this episode and if they saw it with the right lens and if they did this and they had the right arguments, I could potentially yeah. see somebody giving it up to a four out of seven. Um, I don't think it's that high. I think that's way too high. But I could see somebody trying to make that argument for X, sure. Y, and Z reason. If anybody tried to give this a five, I'd just say, you're crazy. <laughs> <laughs> but if you are one of those people who thinks this is a much better episode than we do, that it should be like ranked at a four, three and a half or four, uh, please let us know. Because that's yes, please. That, that's what this is about. Okay, Brent. Yes. We will now take forever in a day and put it in a rearview mirror. Uh, that took forever. And that is going to be in our past. And we are going to move into the present with the next episode, uh, uh-huh. which is okay. called Past yeah. and Present. See what I did there? Oh, <laughs> you're funny. <laughs> okay, so, so what's past and present about? Okay, past and present. Past and present. Oh, you know what's funny is that I made a I made a Charles Dickens Christmas Carol joke last time, didn't I? That was a little that was a little prescient. Um Hey, let's run with it. Next time on Stargate SG1, the SG1 team travels through the gate to find itself on a strange world. It appears to look exactly like 19th century London. As they walk through the streets, confused as to why on earth they could be walking through an area that looks like 19th century London, they happen across a most peculiar sight. A very small child is in the street, wearing just a nightcloth, but somehow being weirdly luminous and wearing a peculiar cap. Coming up to a point, looks almost like a dunce cap. What's this about? They walk up to this peculiar creature, and it turns around, and it indeed looks very old, like a Benjamin Button-type situation. And he lifts up his cap, and light streams from the cap, and he's, he puts it back down. He says, I am the ghost of Christmas's past. Wait a minute, are we in Charles Dickens? It's only October, but maybe they skip a few weeks, and we're in the Christmas holiday season. Join us next time on Stargate <laughs> SG-1 for a retelling of a classic tale as we go through Charles Dickens's London as we explore the past and present. Ah. <laughs> I was also wanting to make a joke about getting a present. 
Uh, like as, as a gift, but I couldn't <laughs> think of a way to do it. I, I, I was envisioning maybe a little boy coming up and saying to O'Neill, please, sir, may I have another? <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, I bet you that I'm probably not right on that one. What do you, what do you think? Uh, well, I, I, I think that uh, that was a fascinating imagination of what it could have been <laughs> uh, i think we should watch the promo to find out what it will be okay let's do it all right are you ready yes i am i will hit go now next time on stargate sg1 the sg1 team meets a civilization with no memories of their past you could have not been here at the time of the vorlicks it was the day that all we know of ourselves was taken away. We can only remember the days since the Vorlicks. Before that, nothing. Huh. Nah. Will they discover the secrets to their planet's loss? research have been able to recover since the Vorlicks. I've spent every waking hour in here, reading, searching. Huh. Our visitor claims to have come to Vice from beyond the stars themselves. What is the name of this elder woman? It is mentioned. Or discover something far worse. Here, yes. She calls herself Linnea. It's all next time on Stargate huh. SG-1. All right, okay. All right, there okay. you go. I mean, that library could be Dickens. Yeah, I, I suppose it could have been Dickens's library. Um, I, I do find it pretty interesting that... Um, uh, there is a little bit more time travel than one might expect with Stargate. And not like literal time travel, but like figurative time travel, right? Like visiting cultures that haven't been around for a while and sort of interpretations about what that could mean. Right. So, you know, I mean, this one looks like it's a kind of a riff on that 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 as well. I mean, in, in a manner of speaking, it's it's I, 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 I'm intrigued. I like it. Cool. It's good stuff. Well, that will be past and present uh Aha. yep and we'll find out next time uh what that is oh speaking of next time yes right um i think we are not recording next weekend that is correct and we are gonna record again the weekend after that i don't have the calendar in front of me i think it's like the first weekend in november yeah, something like that. back yep so we're gonna take a wee break uh and that's because life is a reality and sometimes... And not a dream. <laughs> Just bringing it back full circle. There, there you go. There bringing you go. it back. Bringing the past to the present is what I'm doing. I did it twice. Oh, Just a M-G. big, big circle like a ring. Like a ring, like a sharpie. Bringing it in three times. We got three circular references. And tell you what, we probably should stop okay, now. Okay, so... Tell us what you think <laughs> about this episode forever in a day. Uh, tell us where we got it right. Tell us where we got it wrong. Tell us whether or not you were able to accurately predict Brent's Chevron rating. Uh, yeah. You know, whatever it is. Uh, tell us that. Uh, send it to us. Uh, if in the next episode you want to predict, uh, after watching the episode yourself, if you want to predict uh, Brent's rating, uh, for the next episode, past and present, go ahead and email that to us at walkingthroughthestargate at gmail.com. Put in the subject <laughs> prediction, and I guarantee yeah, I'll, that I'll avoid Brent that. and I will avoid it. 
uh, until after the episode. If you put past and present prediction, then you could you know predict both of our ratings, and I promise we won't look at it until after we watch it, and uh, we'll maybe even have an email revealing party in the last little bit of our Ooh. podcast if you do that. Ah, so if that's something that you want to nice do, idea. please uh, email us at walkingthroughthestargate at gmail.com. Yeah. Follow us on Twitter at Stargate Walking. Find us on Facebook, Walking Through the Stargate, at our Facebook page, and please join us at the Facebook group. Yes. With that, I say I'm Zach. And I'm Brent. And this has been Walking Through the Stargate. See you next time. Bye. Carter, dial it up. Get these people home.